Hello, everyone. It's Sean Duberback from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. We're coming to you today to talk about everything that Apple announced at WWDC. And we thought we would kick it off with a couple of themes. There was clearly a slew of announcements, some of them long anticipated, some of them long overdue, and others that speak to Apple the future of Apple and where Apple plans to differentiate themselves. So perhaps we could jump into some of those announcements that have been long overdue. The first and foremost is the end of life for iTunes. <laughs> yeah, uh, what would the epitaph say? Um, iTunes it tried to do too much, maybe. So this has been rumored for a long time that Apple was going to discontinue iTunes. And essentially they split it into three smaller apps music, TV, and podcasts, something, of course, uh, dear to our hearts. And they even had a little bit of fun at their own expense, talking about other possible things they could have built into iTunes, such as calendaring and mail, you know, really, really silly stuff. And it, it is kind of the end of an era because iTunes was perhaps the first i app and part of the iLife suite. And a lot of those apps have gone away. And iTunes was this thing sort of uh, hanging around and it, it birthed the, uh, the iPod and uh, was, was very important in the early days of, of the iPhone. But it's definitely a passing of the torch because these apps are, these new apps that are replacing it, are very indicative of this new wave of iPad apps and iPhone apps that they want to start bringing to the Mac. It's a, it really shows the passing of the torch from the Mac as this superior platform that manages all these little platforms, so-called digital hub strategies, Steve Jobs uh, described it many years ago, to a more, more of a co-equal relationship uh, among these various platforms. Well, and you see, I mean, iTunes has been around now, what, 18 years? So we're seeing the end of that. And to your point, it, it felt more like a management platform. And I feel like the move towards Apple Music podcasts and Apple TV is a move towards and a reinforcement of their newer strategy around subscriptions and monetizing users in, in different ways. And so as opposed to just getting them on the platform and making it a really a seamless hardware storyline, you're seeing them build out the, uh, the user experience from some of their subscri subscription focuses. I think there are uh, a couple of things that, uh, uh, implications of this actually. Uh, so iTunes still functioned as, as a sort of iPhone management uh, application. It's it's what you backed up to and restored when, if, if your if your iPhone was having problems, for example. Uh, so they they are still going to have to manage that somehow. They're going to handle sync syncing of media for those who still want to do that through the Finder. Uh, so I guess it opens up some questions about. What happens on Windows? Are, are they going to make these apps available for Windows? Are they going to try to, are, are they going to have to still have a management app on, on Windows? And, and Sean, I think this ties into something that uh, we were talking about earlier, uh, Apple building bridges to other, other platforms with, with some of its technologies. Yeah, I think what we saw in, in the announcements today was either 
lines that they're drawing firmly in the sand where they're seeking to differentiate their products from everyone else. And then areas where they're trying to build small bridges to competing platforms. So uh, we noted that the use of avatars will be available on more devices. It'll be available in mail and even some third party messaging apps like WeChat. So there it feels like they're, they're building bridges to other platforms to help create a very seamless experience for the user. And then obviously in, in other areas, they're making major investments and using it as a point of differentiation. Clearly iMessage is one of those areas where they're differentiating themselves from the, the competitors. Uh, Apple Maps is another area where we saw a very big investment uh, that could really fit into the category of it's, it's about time. We saw them make a significant investment there and and to me that raises the question of what do you have to do in this environment in order to compete against some of these competitors apple noted that they had hundreds of planes and cars with custom sensors and, and lidar sensors traversing f over four million miles across the country and they added in some google map like features such as being able to favor locations and uh get an interactive street view, which they're calling look around. But you can see the, the investment that these companies are putting into something like maps, which they're essentially giving away for free to their users. Yeah, it's, it's even kind of worse than that uh, from an economic perspective. And this is easily an investment of, of billions of, of dollars. Uh, and they are going to have something to show for it in terms of the product. I mean. The newer maps that they're rolling out look incredibly detailed uh, and, uh, and, and you know, obviously reflect an attempt to one-up Google. So the look around feature you mentioned, they've been able to create this very smooth scrolling effect as you go through the, go down a street in look around mode as opposed to kind of the teleport, you know, frame by frame. Uh, experience of uh, of Google Maps and and uh, Street View, but uh, but yeah, the the other ways that you traditionally monetize that kind of investment are not models that they are pursuing. You have companies like Here, uh, which have a licensing model, uh, and of course you have Google with uh, with an advertising model, and Apple isn't pursuing either of those. The only other thing that actually just popped into my head is that. This may be part of their investment uh, in terms of some of the car, uh, self-driving car sure. efforts yeah. that, that they have been, you know, presumably working on for, for a long time. So, so for something like that, it makes sense why you would not only want uh, to have great data, uh, but you, you would want to own it as well. Well, and there's, th this is clearly not just a one-off. Maps are something that you have to continuously reinvest in to update. So it's something Great that point. they're going to have to continue to, to update. And, and this will be interesting to see because with their privacy first focus, they'll need to make that investment themselves. Whereas I feel like Google and others are going to rely on the information that they can glean from their users and from devices about what type of locations they're at in order to update some of that information. So while they may not need to actually update the, the image of the building, they might update who's located in the building, what type of retailers, what type of storefronts are located in, in that. And so it will be interesting to see 
uh, how that is updated in these two different paradigms, one that is willing to use the information of its users and one that really is trying to, to differentiate around a privacy first uh, approach. So privacy and particularly Apple's approach to it is something that we've talked quite a bit about on the podcast. I think it is, and, and you know, Sean, to your point about differentiation, it is a concrete differentiation message versus uh, certainly Google, also Facebook, although Apple and Facebook don't overlap on uh, as many businesses. But um, the at, at the keynote today, there there were a number of a, no, a number of instances where Apple showed off its support for privacy, and there was one comment that I think really captured it for me, uh, which was instead of giving the users options to turn off all this tracking they were just not going to put it in. Everything is off. All, all of the tracking is off by default. Mm -hmm. And I think that really exemplifies better than anything the differences in approach to privacy between Google and Apple. I think that there are some things that Apple is pursuing where consumers will get the benefit and may understand the benefit on a broad level, but a lot of it really gets into the weeds. Uh, so for example, they had this uh, uh, system that they demonstrated, HomeKit uh, for routers and the concern about security cameras sending video up to the cloud that could be intercepted and how they were going to deal with that by sending it to other machines on the network and encrypting it and then sending it up. I mean, is there, the question is, you know, is there enough of a realization among consumers where they're going to understand the benefits of that and say, hey, I don't even want to risk that other scenario, so I'm more inclined to buy Apple. Maybe among their customer base there is. You know, you're generally dealing, I think, with you know, savvier, uh, well, some of their customers uh, are, are savvier uh, consumers uh, or at least more affluent where they, they may have more concern about that. Selling proposition for not only their core audience today, but also for others who will decide that this is a, a very important topic for them, a, a very important set of features for them to have. I think if you look at Apple's audience today, to your point, Ross, they have some technically sophisticated audiences, but then they also have some older audiences, some audiences that were late adopters of smartphones that just want a device to work. They want a device that's protected. And if, if they feel like privacy is, is very important to them and security is very important to them, and stick with them. I think, I think it's also a great message for parents who are considering getting an iPhone for their kids or, or a Mac for their kids on the logic that, well, you know, even if I don't care necessarily so much about the risk of a security camera, uh, you know, catching some moment, some personal moment I uh, would rather not uh, have captured, I definitely don't like the idea of it capturing my kids uh, video. So that was, uh, th that, that's a possible angle there as well. Yeah. 
Okay, let's switch to now talking about some of the other developments that we saw Apple announce. And, uh, to me, of, of note was that uh, watchOS will have native development. So they're really carving out the Apple Watch as a standalone uh, product that that can exist outside of the um, Apple iPhone universe. And I think that's a pretty important development for Apple's broader strategy. I, I would agree. It's it's a milestone. And what it really signals is that in, in, in the, the progress that the watch business has made. So in the early days, we heard about a number of developers who were discontinuing their watch apps. Now, apparently, Apple feels that there's enough momentum where they can put their own app store on there. Uh, and it, it really speaks to the, you know, how many watches they've been able to put out there uh, over uh, over the past couple of releases. Uh, and along with some of the other things that they announced, the new cosmetic features, the activity tracking, et cetera. I mean, they are so far ahead in, in this race that, uh, and, and this just pushes them uh, even, uh, even, even further along. Yeah, and they're clearly committed to that category and that it can now support its own app store, I think is, is important. And it probably will open up ways for Apple to monetize that platform, but also to develop specifically to that platform. Mm -hmm. uh, another big announcement, of course, is that Apple is uh, developing its uh, operating system for the iPad. Yeah, I, I thought this one was quite interesting because we hear so much about the iPad's uh, dwindling sales from a volume perspective and how Apple's been able to prop up the revenue numbers through making the, the average selling price higher. Uh, but the iPad has really emerged. Uh, one thing that struck me during the keynote was how it has really emerged as a developer's target in this new Apple lineup. So for example, you know, it, it is the superset of iOS. So if you're thinking of supporting uh, iOS, you know, this, this is the most robust uh, target that you can have uh, and, and you can scale down things uh, and, and compile for iOS. And now of course, you're going to see many more developers using iPad code to go to the Mac. I mean, that is the most natural progression because of the screen sizes, you know, the greater real estate of the iPad lending itself um, better to uh, a, a larger app on, on a Mac. So, so even though it, it may be far from a volume leader, breaking this off and, and particularly how they broke it off with all the interface enhancements and things like swipes to cut and paste, you know, probably things that should have been there at the beginning and things that would be uh, useful to migrate down to iOS or iPhone OS. Uh, but, um, but you know, it, it's definitely just like the, the watch apps, a, a strong showing of, of the commitment that Apple has to the product. Well, and being able to use uh, memory memory sticks and and pull right. off of uh, that. I mean, I think that's uh, a decided 
difference from what Apple has done in the past and wanting everything to exist within the ecosystem to again, kind of here creating bridges. It still feels to me like Apple wants this to be the default computer for uh, for everyone. Everyone has an iPad. Certainly there continues to be a battle among K through 12 education and what the computing experience looks like there. I know at my son's school next year, they'll shift to uh, one-to-one where they'll have a computing device for every single individual. And mm-hmm. so um, that becomes a very important market for for everyone, but certainly for uh, for Apple and for Google as they try to capture a, a big piece of that market and carry those users into adulthood. And if we rewind a little bit, I mean, we can think about the iPad Pro, and certainly it is far ahead in terms of things like USB support and form factor <clears throat> Uh, camera quality, etc. But at the other end, Apple still has, you know, a, an iPad, a basic iPad for under $300. That is a competitive device to a Chromebook. We hear about Microsoft potentially creating these new versions of Windows in part to better compete with the Chromebook. Well, Apple has somewhat uncharacteristically these days has has something in that price point. So, so it really is a, a far easier on-ramp to Apple's larger computing products than even a uh, an, an entry-level Mac. Yeah, and at the same time, you saw them with, with announcements today really push into that high-end space with the new Mac Pro. Uh, and that's clearly a market that uh, they're interested in as well. So from one end of the price spectrum to the very far other end of the of the price spectrum. And and just uh, as was the case with Maps, this is an attempt to go back and uh, right, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say wrongs, but correct some uh, mistakes or things that they've been criticized for in the past in terms of neglecting an obligation. And uh, this is the third pro Mac product that we've, we've seen recently. You had the the little circular thing and the iMac Pro. And now this thing, which is a beast, um, along with a return to displays, which right. is, again, another market that they had left. And it's not as if they're diving back in with a display for everyone. You know, this thing is also going to be four or $5,000, not including $1,000 for the stand, uh, which is <laughs> something that got a, a number of groans. Yeah out of the audience but uh but their rationale is this is what professional users need and they didn't see a monitor out there that met all these needs so if they're serious about competing for for example that broadcast professional this is what they're they're going to need and also a rack mounted version which again you know they've had in the past uh and they've discontinued and now it looks like they're getting ready to to give it another go. Yeah, I think you'll continue to see them push into that uh, to that high end enterprise space. Uh, other big announcements that caught your eye, Ross? Well, on on the privacy front, uh, I, th- I thought it was interesting to see the uh, sign in with Apple uh, announcement. Mm-hmm. Sean, this is a 
perfect example of building bridges uh, because it's not only going to be a way to sign into uh, all kinds of services across Apple's um, uh, devices, but the web, the web as well. And so uh, alongside Apple Card, for example, this is really an example of Apple even reaching beyond computing, uh, getting into a space that Facebook and Google have been the, the primary players in, and again, offering an alternative. So again, the question to me becomes, if I'm going to a website for the first time and I didn't happen to catch the Apple keynote, uh, and I see these three options, sign in with Facebook, Google, and Apple, is it going to be clear to me that signing in with Apple is going to afford me more privacy protection than signing in with, say, Google, who, who most, um, you know, many internet users have a high degree of trust in. So that's, uh, that's the cons my concern for that effort. Well, and I clearly they'll make significant investment in that, just like they've made investments into other features of, of uh, iOS and of the iPhone or of the watch or more recently of AirPods. I think you'll see billboards uh, everywhere talking about signing with Apple if you mm. want a private internet experience and you want a secure internet experience. And so you'll see that slogan um, painted on buildings in Las Vegas come see <laughs> right. next year. Right. One of the features that I really liked that I saw from the from the keynotes today was the their new feature for sharing audio using AirPods. And, mm -hmm. and I noted that they're really investing in the AirPod ecosystem as as a key stake for Apple. Uh, they're calling it AirPods uh, AirPod audio sharing, which will allow you to share music if somebody else has AirPods and they get close to you and and with permission uh with a tap you can start to listen to whatever they're listening to uh, in that again that teenage market where airpods are a status symbol and you're seeing them walk around with airpods in their ears unsure if they're actually even listening to anything or if they're just wearing <laughs> them uh, the idea of being able to share music within small circles of friends i think is very interesting and also, and a, it will mean that everybody will need one because if you're number four, number five friend of a group you know, of five people, four of your friends have it and you don't, you're going to definitely want a pair of AirPods so you can participate in this sharing experience and be part of that group. Uh, agreed. And, and the other AirPod uh, announcement was this ability to reply to messages uh, in, in real time. So right. uh, again, that's on trend with more of these devices getting more powerful, more independent, and allowing you to do more things outside of, uh, of, of the phone. Yeah, so I, I think summing it up as we started out talking about, you saw Apple building things that are going to be closely held Apple properties and, and Apple features that they're setting up to differentiate themselves from their competitors, privacy being one, uh, obviously messaging being one, and, and a couple of these other uh, features that they're building up. And also uh, 
other areas where they're trying to build out standalone ecosystems, AirPods, the, the watches we talked about, the iPad, uh, as, as you noted, Ross, really building those out as standalone uh, platforms that could then bring consumers along into a wider Apple experience, especially, and there weren't a lot of service announcements, but especially as you get some of the that service experience. So you're you're taking advantage of some of these services on iPhones, and you want to be able to use it in some of these other areas as well. So being able to to take full advantage of it with iPad, Mac, Apple Watch is something that they'll definitely be touting over the next year. The last thing that I would uh, just mention is uh, this new frontier of augmented reality. Uh, again, just like the watch, Apple has been very aggressive on augmented reality, coming out with a new version of their of their software, major software releases year after year. This year they showed ARKit 3.0 or ARKit 3 and uh, some really very fun demos uh, going beyond this idea of just, you know, little things on a table to massive uh, holograms or objects uh, that even had a sense of whether people were in front of them or behind them and could hide objects uh, if, uh, if people were uh, in front of them. So, so that, you know, purely from a visual eye candy perspective is, uh, is certainly the, the coolest uh, stuff that they're working on from uh, from a software perspective. But I would say, you know, as these platforms mature that they have, I, I thought this was essentially at this WWDC a solid job of raising the bar across all those platforms, in, in most cases fairly significantly, uh, and yet bringing some tighter integration uh, among them uh, in terms of things like, for example, uh, the the AirPod uh, sharing that you mentioned, or being now able to use uh, an iPad as a second display uh, on mm-hmm. a Mac. Uh, so back to your point about building bridges, doing so where where it's appropriate. I agree with that. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of TechSpansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac with Avrio Institute, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again for the next episode of TechSpansive. Don't forget to check out the website for all of the show notes and drop us a line with any questions or comments.